0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, you might recall last week I boldly proclaimed that I felt that summer was on its way, and uh, now winter's come back with a vengeance. So uh, nonetheless, I wanted to say a very warm uh, welcome and good morning to you all. Uh, whether you're joining us here uh, in the building or um, online, it's great to be with you uh, once again. So let me pray as we begin. Father, please would you uh, speak to us now through your powerful word. Uh, and by the spirit of truth, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, has anyone heard of uh, a guy called Joshua Bell? I don't know if anyone's heard of a guy called Joshua Bell. Uh, so he's uh, one of the world's most famous violinists. And uh, actually, on a cold morning in Washington, D.C., in 2007, uh, he decided to do a little social experiment um, he decided he was going to go busking uh, at a uh, Washington um, train station. Uh, for about 45 minutes, he played six classical pieces. And um, I wonder if you, just in your own mind, have a guess how much money this world-class violinist made. Now, just bear in mind, uh, two days earlier, he performed at a sold-out concert in Boston and uh, made about you know $100 a ticket there. People were very happy to pay that. And um, he also performed that morning on his um, Stradivarius uh, violin, which I think cost him around three and a half million US dollars. And uh, so again, with that in mind, how much do you think you made? Um, it was a little... <laughs> 80, did you say? $50. So it was a little over $30. Uh, and uh, 20 of that came from someone who actually recognised him, but most people were just, <laughs> you know, chucking in quarters and whatnot. Now, so 1,100 people walked past him uh, that morning. Um, only 27 people stopped to give money and, um, and, and kept, really kept going, only a couple of people. Seven people stopped uh, for any amount of time to really enjoy this amazing music they were hearing. He, was one of, he is one of the most extraordinary musicians playing some of the most extraordinary music, uh, and yet hardly anyone noticed, I suspect in large part because... He kind of seemed ordinary. And I dare say often we can be like these commuters. We can, uh, you know, be so busy, we're so distracted uh, that we can sort of miss or ignore uh, some of the most extraordinary things uh, that God is doing in our midst. And often it's because they seem to be ordinary. And so in this passage I think Jesus really invites us to slow down and pay attention uh, to the extraordinary ways God is at work uh, in our midst so um, I'm going to encourage us we're going to look at three things uh, this morning uh, unfortunately I, I was away on holidays uh, this week so I didn't um, get the um, my you know the, the bullet points in time for the uh, for the bulletin uh, but have a look so um, so these are going to be Three points, the sun's extraordinary revelation. Whoops, I'm not sure why that's not popping up. Um, Okay, there's something happening with the slides. Anyway, uh, point one is the sun's extraordinary revelation. Secondly, the sun's extraordinary invitations. And thirdly, the spirit's extraordinary inspiration. All right, so point number one, the sun's extraordinary revelation. If you're here uh, last week or uh, joining us online, you recall that we are in uh, the middle of what's known as the Upper Room Discourse, right? It's the Last Supper, uh, the night before Jesus dies, and uh, Judas, uh, I guess formerly one of Jesus' disciples, has just left uh, to go and betray Jesus. So Jesus knows it's just a matter of time before the soldiers come and he's arrested and tried and sentenced and, and executed. Uh, So he knows that trouble is coming, not just for him, but also for his disciples. Uh, And like the good teacher that he is, he wants to teach them everything he can before he dies uh, so that they can cope through the troubled times ahead. Last week, you recall, he taught them uh, about heaven to help them cope through the troubles. This week, uh, we'll see he's teaching them about himself. So have a look with me at verse 8. Philip says, one of the disciples, "'Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough.'" Now, um, Philip probably wants to see or experience something like what Moses experienced. you recall back in Exodus, Moses went up Mount Sinai uh, and he was talking directly with God, right? Moses uh, was told by God that God was pleased with him, and so Moses somewhat audaciously says, "'Now show me your glory.'" And God, somewhat surprisingly, agrees. And, uh, and so God, as we read in Exodus 33, God caused all his goodness to pass in front of Moses. Now, I don't think in the history of humanity there's ever been something so exciting, you know, something so exhilarating, something so electrifying, something so terrifying uh, as what Moses experienced in God's presence uh, up Mount Sinai. And along comes Philip, and he says, "Jesus, how about you just give us something like that? You know that that will be enough, right?" So he's—I think he's being a bit audacious here. He's like, "Just show us the Father, and that will be enough." And you know, I suspect sometimes we can be—you um, know, like I, I don't mean, let me put it like this—I don't be too quick to judge Philip, because quite frankly, I don't know about you, but um, if I could choose between a Bible reading and, and a human preacher, or God descending in power and glory and might, and we all kind of levitate off and bask in the rays of his, you know, glory. You're not going to choose to experience the Father's presence every time uh, than, you know, church service or, um, or, or songs and whatnot. <laughs> so um, I, I think what Philip is saying is, is quite understandable because if given the choice, we'd all choose the, you know, extraordinary over the ordinary. But have a listen to how Jesus replies. Verse 9, he says... Don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now, this is, needless to say, an extremely important revelation. Um, it's especially important uh, for us, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we struggle uh, to sort of think of what the Father is like. Um, sometimes we struggle, um, you know, particularly if we've, we've had, uh, you know, if those of you who might have had a difficult relationship uh, with your Father, it, it's, it's hard to actually get a sense of what the Father is like. But Jesus is saying that, um, you know, when you look at him, you see what the Father is like, right? He might seem ordinary. Um, he might seem like he's just a man. And of course, he is uh, fully human. Uh, but he's also saying he's, he's also fully God. Now, we, we are standing right now on very holy ground, uh, I dare say. Um, you know, I think all through the history of the church, people have tried to get their head around uh, what this means. It's, um, it's called the Doctrine of the Trinity, Uh, Jesus is talking here about the inner life of God, how the Father is in the Son and how the Son is in the Father. And uh, we could really talk about this all day. Um, Don't worry, we won't. Um, But um, I think it's kind of helpful to go back to the basics just for a moment. So let's just do that. Uh, So what Jesus is talking about here is that um, there's one God, all right? Uh, One God in three persons, The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. uh, And neither of them are the Holy Spirit. So there's one God in three persons. Um, The persons are distinct, uh, and yet the persons are never separate from each other. So we say they mutually indwell each other, which is what Jesus is talking about here. Um, The Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father. And what this means is you can't see one, you can't look at one uh, without seeing the others as well. All right, wherever one is, the others are as well. What one is doing, the others are doing as well. And it's hard to get our head around, I think. Um, and no illustration ever comes close, I'm afraid. Um, but I can't, if you were here week one, you know I love a good movie. I can't resist a good movie illustration. So I'm going to go for it. Um, it's a little bit like, I dare say, uh, Mission Impossible. Right? It's a bit dated, but it's still a good film. And uh, it's that famous scene, you know, where Ethan Hunt is um, infiltrating a building And uh, right, he's the guy on the ground. He's the one, you know, running around and, you know, through the air vents and all that kind of stuff. He's doing the actions, uh, but at the same time, there's someone um, speaking to him, right, in his ear. Uh, They've got the, you know, on their computer, the schematics of the building, and they're, they're hacking all the codes, and they're kind of telling him where to go and what to do, even though he's the one on the ground. So we, we see, so to speak, just one person, uh, but really it's, it's, it's a team at work. Again, it's far from perfect, but um, it's a little bit like that, I think. So 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, he only did uh, what his father asked him to do. He only said what his father asked him to say. Jesus is saying, if you want to know what your heavenly father is like, just look at his words and his deeds. And if I could put it like this, when we see Jesus' humility in washing his disciples' feet, we see the beautiful heart, the beautiful humility of God, the Father, towards us. When we see Jesus' patience uh, towards his disciples, despite their many mistakes, we see the Father's patience towards us when we see Jesus' compassion towards the crowds, when we see Jesus embracing the socially outcast, when we see Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb, when we see the love of Jesus dying, not just for his friends, but also for his enemies on that awful cross, we see the Father's heart for us, his love and compassion and concern. So the words and deeds of Jesus are far from ordinary. And you know, we'll come to the miracles in just a moment, but Jesus' words and deeds are utterly extraordinary. They reveal the words and deeds of the Father himself. They show us what the Father is like. I think that's awesome. So that's point one, the Son's extraordinary revelation. Uh, point number two, the Son's extraordinary invitation or invitations, as the case may be. Have a look with me at verse 11. Jesus says, believe me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Um, But I I don't know if you noticed, Jesus doesn't just say, believe me, in this passage. He also says, verse 12, he uses the expression, believe in me. And uh, we'll come back to this verse in just a moment. Um, But I just wanted to pause here just to dwell on this. There is an important difference, I think, and um, the difference is well illustrated. Um, some of you probably heard this illustration a few times. Um, it's a famous illustration of, um, of a guy called Charles Blondin. He's, uh, if you haven't heard of him, he's a, he was a tightrope walker, French guy from the 19th century. And uh, one of his biggest you know, claim to fame is um, he crossed Niagara Falls, which is around 340 metres, on a tightrope. And uh, one time he did it blindfolded, uh, one time he went out to the middle of the rope and he, you know, cooked and ate an omelette, as you do. Um, and another time he pushed, you know, a wheelbarrow loaded with potatoes uh, across on the rope. And, uh, and so as you can imagine, the watching crowd were all cheering, they're like, yeah, you're the best. And so he went back to them and he said, who here thinks that I could push a human across uh, this rope in this wheelbarrow, and they were like, yeah, we fully believe you can do it. He said, all right, who here would like to volunteer? And everyone's like, you know, dead silent, you know, tumbleweed and crickets. So, and I think that um, illustrates the point well. You know, it's one thing uh, to believe that Blondin uh, can do it, but it's another thing to believe in him uh, and actually get in and I think it's the same with Jesus. It's one thing to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, the Bible says even the demons uh, believe that you know, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, but it's a completely different thing to believe in him, right? Right to put your trust in him, to entrust all of your life uh, into his hands. And so I I wanted to make this distinction um, just so we could understand the relationship between faith and what Jesus says in verse 15, where he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Just to be clear, Jesus is not saying that we need to be sinlessly perfect right, before uh, he comes and dwells in us. Um, no, I think, he's, um, I think we all know that no one can be sinlessly perfect. What, what I think he's saying is like getting in the wheelbarrow, we need to trust him with our whole life. Right? We love him by trusting him. We trust him by obeying him. And the promise is in verse 21, whoever does that will be loved by the Father, and Jesus also will love them and show himself to them. And um, look, it just makes a lot of sense, right? If you're married, you'll especially know this, that when you love someone, you want to know what pleases them. So you delight to you know, obey whatever it is, so to speak, that pleases them. And it's the same in our relationship with God. And it also makes sense, I think, that if you trust Jesus, you believe that he made you, you believe he loves you, you believe he died for you to show you. He gave his life right, to secure your future. So I think you can trust him with your life too by obeying his commands and knowing that really they are for your good Uh, and to submit your life to him. So that's the big invitation, I think, in this passage. Uh, But there's another invitation which I want to talk about, uh, which is awesome, um, in verse 12. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things. All right, it's a very uh, interesting verse, very controversial verse. What on earth does it mean? Uh, Well, I think at the very least, uh, we need to say that Jesus is talking about miracles. If you look at verse 11, that's clear, where Jesus says, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So I think Jesus is saying that the miracles he performed, uh, at least the miracles he performed, give proof that he really is the Son of God. Um, And certainly, back to verse 12, certainly um, Jesus' disciples did go on to do great miracles um, in a very similar way uh, to what Jesus did. I'll just switch over there. Uh, so, you know, um, you know the healing the sick and, and raising the dead and all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't actually think you could say that the disciples did greater miracles uh, than Jesus. I think that's too much of a stretch. I think there's one thing that is clear that the disciples did that, that is, so to speak, greater than Jesus, uh, and that is this. When Jesus went around preaching uh, the gospel, I don't know if you noticed, but hardly anyone believed. Most people were there just for like the healings and the, and the free food handouts, right? Um, but by, and we know this by the end of, of uh, you know by the time Jesus died, there was um, pretty much all of his disciples had scattered. But when the disciples started preaching, like at Pentecost in Acts two, you know there was fire when Peter preached. Uh, And uh, it says around 3,000 people gave their life, were added to the number that day. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the disciples were better preachers than Jesus. Uh, Quite the contrary, actually. If you look again at verse 12, Jesus says, you know, you're going to do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And so what Jesus is talking about here is 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 when he uh, you know, died, rose, ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit right, into his disciples uh, such that it is now his power at work in his disciples' works. Right? It's Jesus' power enabling greater works and extraordinary fruit. Uh, so it really it is him working through them. And so that's Jesus' invitation for us as well. He invites us to do greater works uh, than him, than when he was on, uh, on the earth. He, and I don't think he's, he's mainly talking about miracles in this verse. I, I think he's mainly talking about sharing the gospel. Let me hasten to say I'm all for uh, miracles uh, in the church today. I, I don't think they've ceased. You can ask me about that later. But the greatest miracle you'll ever see is when you share the gospel of Jesus with someone. And when they believe, spiritually speaking, that is the greatest miracle, greater than Moses parting the Red Sea, greater than Jesus raising Lazarus to to life from death. Uh, Because when you share the gospel and they believe in Jesus, spiritually speaking, they go from death to life, right? They go from being God's enemies to being God's friend and child, right? And that's why the Bible says that even when one sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven, a party breaks out. And God the Father is so stoked, uh, and Jesus and the Spirit as well. It might seem ordinary for you to invite your friend to mission month next, week, next month and um, you know, for them to come along and believe in Jesus. That might seem ordinary, but friends, it is utterly extraordinary if you could see through the eyes of eternity what's happening. And I think that's especially how we should understand verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says uh, he will do whatever we ask in his name. Of course, it is, it's a good thing to pray for literally anything, you know, for healings, uh, for health, for happiness, for wealth. Um, but Jesus especially invites us to pray uh, for what really is, you know, the, he, at the centre of his burning heart, for people to come back into a relationship with God the Father through him. And he especially invites us to pray. Uh, And God he especially invites, uh, rather, he especially loves to answer the prayer uh, that we might share the gospel and that people might believe so that the Father is glorified in the Son. Okay, so that's point two, the Son's extraordinary invitations. And thirdly and finally, the Spirit's extraordinary inspiration. So, where do we get the power for all this? Where do we get the power uh, to believe in Jesus and share the good news and obey and follow Jesus wherever He leads us? Well, verse 16, Jesus says, The Father gives us another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Uh, Now, some of you might know uh, that Jesus uses the word paraclete uh, here. And uh, it literally means um, someone who sort of s- who, who gets alongside us and speaks. And uh, it's notoriously difficult to translate, but I'm, I'm going to do my best. Um, on the one hand, um, it, it refers to the Holy Spirit. It's a great term because on the one hand, the Holy Spirit speaks to God on our behalf. Uh, and so like the words translated here, he's like an advocate you know, or a lawyer. Uh, And we get this idea in Romans 8, verse 26, where Paul says, the Apostle Paul, that even when we don't know what we ought to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes for us, right? Like an advocate intercedes on on our behalf in front of a judge, right? He's alongside us speaking. Uh, But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit um, is alongside us, uh, not speaking to God this time, but speaking from God to us, right? And I actually think this is the main focus, this idea is the main focus in this passage, now, I'm going to be a little bit provocative here, maybe, but I actually think the main idea here is that the Holy Spirit is a bit like a personal trainer. What does a personal trainer do? Right? They get alongside us. Right? They know our goals. They know how to help us achieve our goals, and so they inspire us. Right? They motivate us to persevere through the pain for longer-term gain. And um, during the height of the COVID lockdown, um, just across the way from my apartment, there was a personal trainer, uh, you know, teaching classes uh, over Zoom. And so, you know, I'd be sitting there studying away and occasionally I'd, um, you know, be interrupted um, with the voice of this personal trainer who no doubt was extremely inspiring And so, you know, I I just hear, you know, cutting through the, the silence, they'd be like, okay, guys, just let's keep going hard for 10 more seconds and three, two, one. Good work, guys. Okay, you can have a little break now. And so, of course, you know, being inspired, I'd have a little break myself. I'd go get a coffee and a Tim Tam. And it was like I was doing the work as well. And, um, you know, that's, I think, like the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit knows what's best for us. Um, Sometimes that means he pushes us. Sometimes when we're we're tempted to give up, we're tempted to disobey God's commands. But the Holy Spirit is always there. He's always inspiring us to keep going, keep trusting, keep loving, keep obeying. And in that sense, verse 17, he's the spirit of truth. Inspires us with the true vision of who we are in Christ and who uh, we will be when Christ returns. So, as we wrap up, um, I want to end with what I think is a very inspiring speech from one of my favorite movies, uh, Lord of the Rings The Two Towers. And um, it's the place where Frodo is really struggling. I don't know if where you are right now, maybe you are really struggling. Uh, with, with COVID, and maybe it's impacted your business, uh, maybe it's impacted uh, your ability to see people you love, uh, perhaps overseas, and you're struggling. Uh, or maybe just right now you're, you're wondering um, if you want to give up uh, in your faith with Jesus, right? And so I, I love this speech. Um, so Frodo's struggling. To, he wants to give up. And then a friend who's alongside him, journeying with him, a guy called Sam, He inspires Frodo to keep going. So I want to read from this speech, and um, hopefully you might see how it applies to your spiritual life. Okay, Sam says this. He says, It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those are the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. That there is some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Friends, I believe in heaven the stories we'll, we will celebrate won't be the stories of great sporting victories or you know, the popularity of politicians or the riches of billionaires. I believe the stories, the great stories that will really matter are the little decisions that you and I make the daily decisions to trust Jesus, even when it's hard, and obey him. Those little decisions might seem ordinary to to us right now, but I believe in heaven we'll see them for what they really are, extraordinary. So with that, let me pray. Father, thank you that so often you work in extraordinary ways in the seemingly ordinary. Thank you for the Son's extraordinary revelation. Thank you for his extraordinary invitation to believe in him and to share his gospel. And thank you for the Spirit's extraordinary inspiration. With his help, Father, enable us to be people who love you by keeping your commands. And in doing so, may you be glorified in us, for we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.